All right, good morning again. It's such a privilege uh, to be able to, to preach um, and especially to uh, proclaim the word of God to my church family. Um, this, is, this is a particularly difficult uh, sermon for me because I, I fail uh, so regularly in this area. And uh, so I'm, I'm thankful that uh, God's word is his word. And Pastor Randy's encouragement today was just stand and proclaim it. So that's what I'm, I'm going to do. Uh, probably more standing than he does. I'm not going to do all the this stuff and, and flirt with the edge of the, edge of the stage like he does. I'm always so nervous he's going to fall, uh, fall off. Um, and so I'm waiting. Mark my words. One day he is going to fall off of the stage. And so uh, I told him, uh, if you're not here, I get to roast you. So... Um, <laughs> If you haven't already, would you turn with me to James chapter 2? And uh, every time I preach, uh, Pastor Randy asked me if I'd uh, teach through James. And so we're in James chapter 2. And because uh, it's the new year, happy new year, how many of you have made New Year's resolutions? Show of hands, how many of you have made New Year's resolutions? All right. Um, well, well, a study by an artificial intelligence marketing company, a research company, they figured about 60% of Americans uh, would make New Year's resolutions. Uh, and, and they figured only about 8% of them would actually achieve them. <laughs> um, the, this AI company, research company, looked at roughly 275,000 uh, Americans and what their New Year's resolutions were in the last four years to kind of pr uh, project what uh, the top 10 New Year's resolutions would be for 2020. So this is what they are. Number 10, stay motivated. Looks like those 60%, the, the, the other 92% needed to be motivated a little bit more. Uh, stay motivated. Number nine, upgrade my technology. That's Pastor Randy's resolution. That's my resolution for him, that he would upgrade his iPhone to a Google phone, and that would truly be an upgrade. Uh, number eight, be a better person. I don't know if number nine coincides with number eight. Go into a Google phone makes you a better person, probably, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with him. <laughs> number seven, be more healthy. Be more healthy. Number six, be happier. Better mental health. Number five, go to the gym. Pastor Randy's making me go to the gym as part of my job here, so I think that's, that might be the reason, that might be the heart of all my, uh, my animosity. <laughs> no. I'm thankful. Um, number four, lose weight, diet. Number three, eat more of my favorite foods. <laughs> I don't understand number three and four <laughs> together. It's like, if I eat more of my favorite foods, I am not going to lose weight. Um, number two, try something new. Number one, actually do my New Year's resolutions. Yeah. Uh, I'm not particularly one to make New Year's resolutions, but don't we all want to be resolute? Don't we all have the need to be 
resolute. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines resolute as marked by firm determination, bold, steady. Don't we all want that to be said of us? I want that to be said of me. This morning, I think, I think James chapter 2 would have us either add to your resolutions if, if it's not on there already, or to be resolute in at least this area this year. And uh, this area is our main point, uh, main idea of the text. Uh, it's tell the truth about God. Do not show favoritism. Be merciful. So the main point is, is, is tell the truth about God, and under that, do not show favoritism. Be merciful. And that's my two points. Do not show favoritism. Be merciful. Uh, let, me, let me pray and ask God to, to help us. Dear Father, we, we all want to be resolute in this. We all want our determination to be firm, steady, as we want to tell the truth about you. Now, what a weighty thing it is. As your people, as your representatives here, um, we, 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 are, we have to be able to tell people, look, look at the way I act, so that that you might see, they might see something of how you act. That's, that's a weighty, weighty responsibility. And I confess, I fall so, short so often living like this, living a life that is worthy of the calling that you have called us to. So we pray as we strive with all our might to obey you, would you make us worthy of your calling? Would you fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. Lord, would you grant us the power to obey you? Because as we heard last week, that same power that, that rose Christ from the dead, that, that same power that, that, that gave a virgin, the Son of God, lives in us. Would you grant us power to obey you so that the name of Jesus might be glorified. Lord, I also lift up our sister church, Waihu Community Church. Lord, we are so excited and thankful that this past year has been marked by, by some of the most inspiring, motivating, uh, and most of all, God-glorifying stories and testimonies there at Waihu Community Church. Here, as we have sent many of the people that we love, how you have grown them and us, and we pray as we look forward to celebrating one year with them, sent, sending them out, we pray that you would continue to bless the preaching of your word there, that you would continue to unite them, knit them together in love, so that you might be glorified in that community. And we also pray for Emmanuel Baptist Church in Kentucky, who, who sent who partnered with us to send Waihu Community Church. Lord, we have been so blessed by their ministry through, uh, through the members that they have sent out to us and to WCC. So would you continue to bless them as they have been a blessing to so many? Uh, would you bless the preaching there? And Lord, we pray now that you would help me Help me to speak in such a way that would honor you and serve my brothers and sisters here this morning. So, Father, I feel very much that this jar of clay 
desires to tell forth your gospel and the treasure of your gospel. So would you use me to show the surpassing power belongs to you and not to me? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our first point, tell the truth about God. Do not show favoritism. Tell the truth about God. Do not show favoritism. As a reminder, since it's been a little while since we've been in James, James is writing to persecuted Christians. This was probably the first uh, New Testament book written. And so James is writing to uh, persecuted Christians, and we know they're persecuted because in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. The dispersion happened when uh, Stephen <clears throat> was killed by, by Saul, also known as Paul, and, and Paul began to persecute the church. These Christians were being thrown into prison. They were being uh, fired from their jobs. They were, therefore, poor. Many of them were being defrauded by the wealthy, and the wealthy were dragging them into court and paying off the judges for a favorable verdict. This is the kind of persecution that James's readers are under. And when you read a simple reading of James's letter, you're going to see that James is, you get the sense that there's no time. His persecuted readers don't have time for long epistles, for long drown-out arguments. Uh, James doesn't mince words in his letter because he doesn't want to waste any time. And so what do people who are being persecuted, who don't have time, need to hear? What marks this persecuted living? What marks end-time living? What kind of radically life-altering, paradigm-shattering truths do they need to hear? Ask for wisdom when you lack it. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. Care for orphans and widows. Do not show favoritism. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting how something seemingly just seemingly simple faithfulness is what God calls us to when we think of the persecuted life, when we think of end time living, what we need to hear right now is, is simple faithfulness, seemingly simple faithfulness, because we know it's not, it's not simple. I think it's safe to say my life is easier than theirs, and yet I struggle to obey God in, in these areas, and that they're being persecuted. So in chapter 2, James brings up another seemingly simple command to these persecuted believers. He says in verse 1 of chapter 2, My brothers and sisters, show no partiality, that word is favoritism, show no favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The word partiality or favoritism literally means to receive the face, to receive the face, to, to make judgments about people based on external appearance, to treat them based on external appearance. Apparently, there were those in the church who were treating the wealthy people well, but the poor people, they were treating terribly. And Verses 2 through 4, we see the situation. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
You see, you see the situation here. James, you almost get the sense that James is a little bit shocked. They're, they're telling rich people, wealthy people who come in who look wealthy because of the way they're dressed to sit here in a good spot. And they're telling the, the poor people in shabby clothing, you get the sense that they're like homeless people to sit down at my feet. Now that's not just, oh, there's no space for you so you can sit down. It's become my footstool. That's what they're telling them. They're saying, serve me, sit here at my feet. James, you get the sense he's a little shocked. He, you get the sense that James is scratching his head because this favoritism does not make any sense on multiple levels. This favoritism doesn't make sense on multiple, at least three levels. The first, favoritism by James readers doesn't make sense because, number one, the very people they're showing favor to are the people who are persecuting them. And, and because they're the body of Christ, they're persecuting Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? He's saying you honor the rich and tell the poor to sit down on the ground. It's those exact people who are oppressing you. They're the ones throwing you into prison. Now, why would they do that? That doesn't seem to make any sense, but why would they do that? Maybe to avoid persecution? Maybe to get in their good graces? Since, if we're honest, the bills need to be paid. Well, whatever it may be, it didn't make sense. And we can see it so clearly, can't we, when we read this? We can see that so clear. And yet we know from experience we, we can be blind to our own failures that, and once we get out from under the sway of sin, we can see clearly that did not make any sense. That, that doesn't make any sense. We can see it so clearly now. Praise God for people in our lives like James, who boldly, because they love us and lovingly, say, hey, you know what you're doing doesn't make any sense. See, almost... All favoritism or preferential treatment based on the way people look or speak or how much money a person has or how popular someone is, this kind of treatment is usually at the expense of others and is usually self-serving. See, you, you, when, when you show someone preferential treatment based on something external, we usually want something they have. Or we want the status that comes with association with that person. Maybe if you get in their, their good graces, maybe if you get in their clique or, or you're, you're favored by them, then you'll feel maybe important or, or valued. But we see the full story, don't we? We get a peek behind the curtain. They were the very ones persecuting the poor. Our sin of favoritism doesn't get you the value and the importance that you're seeking. It doesn't. Why does it not get you that? Because, number two, favoritism doesn't make any sense because, number two, it's sin. Now, now I want to, before I go any further, I want to be clear, it's not sin to have a favorite. It's not sin to have a favorite. You can have a favorite without favoritism. Right? My wife is probably most favorite in my life. 
and, and yet I'm called to not show favoritism toward her even. Favoritism that James is talking about that we are interacting with today is, is making decisions about people based on appearance, external factors, giving them preferential treatment, and it's usually, again, like I said, at the expense of others. James is saying don't do that kind of favoritism. In verse 8 through 11, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So do you, do you follow James's logic here? He, he's saying that the law, this royal law, that you should love your neighbor as yourself, is, 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 it's in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and, and it's also Jesus, right? What is the greatest, what's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor, and, and it violates that law. When you show favoritism, it violates that. And if you violate the law, you are a lawbreaker. It's, it's, it's sort of simple logic, right? But, but it gets even deeper. Do you, you're, a law, you're a lawbreaker if you break the law. But maybe you're here and you might think you, you read that verse and say, well, what if you keep the whole law but only break one? That sounds a little harsh to be a law, called a lawbreaker because you've kept the entire law but only failed in one part? Well, I think that's an understandable reaction. And, and I feel like James wants to lean into that because that's why he gave us this obvious hypothetical situation. But let's, let's read it again. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Verse 10, verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. He who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. It can also be said in this, this way. For God said, do not commit adultery. Also, God said, do not murder. Friends, the law is not a thing. The law is not a list of things that if you break one, they're, they're tallying it up in heaven. No, the law is God's law. It, he is the one speaking. It is still God that you sin against. Do one, don't do the other. Sin in one way, don't sin in another. It is still God that you stand against when you sin and break the law. It is the one who is speaking that we offend when we break the law. This is a hypothetical situation that James is talking about, but he's using it to illustrate, logically illustrate his point. Favoritism, if you break that one law, you are rebelling against the God who spoke that law. See, friend, if you're here and you don't consider yourself to be a Christian, please know that this isn't harsh. James was speaking, again, hypothetically, but we haven't kept the whole law, have we? We have not kept the whole law. And maybe you're not mindful of God's law. Maybe you don't know what God's law is. So how can I have broken God's law if I, if I didn't know what it was? 
Well, if you're honest with yourself, maybe you have your own moral code. And again, if you're honest with yourself, you've broken that moral code that you've even established for yourself. And maybe you hold others to it a little bit more, more strictly than you even hold yourself to it. Maybe you'll give yourself a pass sometimes. Whether it's karma or bachi or what goes around comes around, you also have a sense of justice. That justice must be served when you break a moral code. The way that doesn't work, the way that doesn't make sense, is for your good things to outweigh the wrong you've done. And that wrong that you've done, the Bible calls it sin. It doesn't work to try to do better things because it doesn't take away the fact that you have sinned. If, if I got pulled over and, uh, for speeding and the officer says, uh, well, you've broken the law, you were speeding. I say, but I've driven the speed limit more times than I broke it, which is probably not true. <laughs> the fact still remains, I have broken the law. Good things cannot outweigh our bad. That doesn't make sense, do you see? Do you, do you understand that? It doesn't take away the fact that you have done it. James has just stated, your sin is against the God of the universe, friends. This morning, God stands in judgment and wrath toward you because you broke his law. But at the same time, while that's 100% true, it is also 100% true that God in his love sent his son. God, because he loves you, sent his son, and he brought you here to hear this hard but good news, kind news, merciful news, that he sent his son to suffer the punishment that you deserved. Jesus, he is fully man so that he can stand as our representative to take our punishment. And he is also fully God so that he could take that infinite wrath from the Father and pay it fully. I, I, I illustrated this with my son. I, I, he didn't understand how, how God, Jesus could suffer on the cross for three hours and satisfy all of God's wrath for all eternity that we, that we deserve. I said, it's like, it's as if, as if I owed like $100 billion. And if I tried to pay that off, one dollar every month at a time, it would take forever for me to pay that off. I wouldn't be able to pay that off. But if someone came and had 100 billion dollars and paid it off completely, it wouldn't take forever. It would take one second. Done. Finished. Paid off. In full. That's what, that's what Christ has done in our place, brothers and sisters. That's not, it's not a perfect illustration, but that's what God has done. You cannot earn your salvation. You must pay forever for your sin. But what God has done in Christ, he put Jesus in our place to suffer under God's wrath. So that you today can come. Turn away from your sin. Trust Jesus that he can pay the penalty for your sin and live for him. Friends, this... This is a hard word, but it is a glorious word that we have sinned and yet Christ has taken our sin for us. Would you come this morning?
Well, favoritism doesn't make sense because it's sin. And finally, favoritism doesn't make sense in James because, number three, it doesn't tell the truth about who God is. It does not tell the truth about who God is. Verse 5, Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? See, favoritism doesn't make sense because that's not how God is. When we, when we were going through our soteriology study and we were talking about unconditional election, did you, did you, did you wonder, how is this practical? Is this just head knowledge? Is this just for, for smart people to know, but this isn't practical for my life? It's not. It, it is practical. It, J, James is reminding his readers of how God's means of election works. Do you see that? He says, not many, uh, that, that, do you know that the poor were chosen, elected? It's unconditional in that it, it's not based on anything within or without. God doesn't look at the exterior of a person or doesn't elect people based on their wealth or even their poverty, for that matter. God's election doesn't look at the wealth or poverty of a person and, 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 and says, well, well, that person looks like they're worthy of my blessing of my favor, of my salvation? No. He doesn't look at the wealth or poverty of a person, but he makes the impoverished wealthy. That's what God does. This echoes James' teaching in Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And just in case we think uh, we only have financially poor people in mind, the corresponding synoptic account in Matthew chapter 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the same account, but, but in a different way. So, so God wants us to be like that, because that's how he has treated us. He has treated us without regard to any benefit that we could bring him, because, because we couldn't. We had no wealth or no righteousness to give him that he would be benefited by. He has treated us, why on earth? Why on earth, then, if he has treated us that way? Of all people, having known this kind of grace ourselves, would we ever begin to treat people differently? Would we ever begin to treat people based on external appearance, based on what we think they deserve, according to the flesh? Of all people on the planet who should not do that, it's us. It's the church. In fact, the church should be the most impartial place in the world. The church should be the most inviting place in the world. Church should be a relief from the wrong discriminations found outside our doors. We should be a refuge for that kind of treatment here. Sadly, that's not always the case in the church, in history, but... That's in spite of what the Bible teaches. That's in spite of what our God is like. The Bible here, as in James, says we're not show, to show preferential treatment of anyone based on the way they look, the way they act, the way they speak, how much money they have or don't have. The church should be a place of refuge against that kind of treatment. Favoritism doesn't make sense because it's not how our God is. Our God doesn't act like that. It doesn't make sense 
for God's people to show favoritism, therefore. Treating people poorly because of the way they look or speak. It lies about God and about the gospel. It tells a lie about it. Well, we are not to show favoritism, and that tells the truth about God. And our second point, tell the truth about God, be merciful. Be merciful. So we are not to show favoritism, because that tells a lie about God, if we are to show favoritism. We're also called to be merciful. James gives us two commands in these 13 verses. He tells us in verse 1, show no partiality, don't show favoritism. And then the second comes in verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. As those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. You might ask, but, but, I, thought, but I thought I'm not under law anymore. I thought I'm not under law. I thought Jesus, when he died, he suffered under the law so that I am no longer under the law, but under grace. Well, that's true. Douglas Moo, in his commentary on James' epistle, says this, begin, quote, God's gracious acceptance of us does not end our obligation to obey him. It sets it on a new footing. No longer is God's law a threatening, confining burden, for the will of God now confronts us as a law of liberty, an obligation we discharge in the joyful knowledge that God has both liberated us from the penalty of sin and given us, in his spirit, the power to obey his will, close quote. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? The charge is to speak and act as those who have been set on a new footing. Those who have been set on a new footing. Speak and act as those who were impoverished but now are recipients of the kingdom of God. Speak and act as those who were once rebellious toward God but are now called God's sons, God's daughters. Speak and act as those who were lacking all that God could have looked upon as meriting and earning his righteousness, but have now been declared righteous, joyfully declared righteous, finally, totally, as as in James chapter 1, lacking in nothing. We are complete. Speak and act as those who were lacking mercy, but now have shown much mercy. See, none of this is of our own merit. None of this God could have looked on and says, yes, this one is deserving of my favor. Nothing. God simply shows his favor toward us. I said it before, he's the only one who could truly say and look at us and says, I love you just because. It originates simply from himself. Nothing from us. You might think, well, that doesn't sound too great. But it's such good news. Because, because what we are, again, we're, we, we've broken the law. What we deserved is judgment. But now God looks upon us. He says, I, I love you just because I determined to love you. Friends, are, are you here and maybe you, you deal with guilt? Maybe you're, you're a believer, but you feel so guilty because you've sinned. And how can God look upon me in favor and look upon me in love when I've sinned so much against him? Well, know that God doesn't look upon you and look for righteousness in you to save you. He just sets his love upon you because he loves you. He, maybe, maybe you're here and, and maybe you, sh- you struggle with shame because of your sin. And maybe God, 
Maybe God is ashamed of, of me, or, or maybe shame because of sin done to you. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe, maybe you've been sinned against in such a way that you don't feel clean anymore, and you don't feel, you don't feel right anymore. And maybe you think, God won't receive me or accept me because I'm unclean. Know that God loves you and sets his love upon you just because he's determined to. And he is determined to see you through to the end. He is resolute to see that you will be blameless, without spot, without blemish. That's good news that God wouldn't look upon us to look for any righteousness or any reason to save us, but that he just saves us because he loves us. We are called to be that way, brothers and sisters. We are called to tell the truth about God by treating other people that way. We are called to joyfully speak, joyfully act in obedience to the command to love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to joyfully speak words that give life because God's words give life. That's how we're supposed to be. We're called to to act as God has acted in our salvation when he showed mercy to those who did not deserve mercy. That's a type of living that tells the truth about who God is. So some practical ways that we we can speak We can so speak and so act as those who have been recipients of mercy. How are we to speak and so act as those who have a new status of righteous before God, as son, as daughter, as those who have been shown much mercy, who didn't deserve mercy? Well, how are you doing with loving and being merciful to those, to other members here at KBC who maybe are very different than you are? Maybe they look differently, dress differently, listen to different music. Maybe they're uh, from a different generation than you are. Maybe, maybe they don't have, eat like the same food or talk the same way as you do, or maybe they're in a different season as you are. How are you doing with, with just fellowshipping with people who are different? Have you let these reasons why you haven't engaged uh, people here at KBC be reasons to not? Have, have you let those things be reasons? Maybe you don't intentionally allow differences to hinder you from engaging, but maybe let me ask it a different way. Have you been intentional to engage others here at KBC? Maybe younger folks, when's, when's the last time you've reached out to our older members? I'll let you define what younger and older are. <laughs> but when's the last time you, you've reached out to them? Or maybe have asked some of our older members who have been here for a long time, tell me your testimony. Or maybe what's, what's your favorite memory since you've been here as a member of this church? Because there are some really neat stories of older members who have been here for a while that are really encouraging. When's the last time, young people, have you reached out to them? Or members who have been here for a long time? Have you met some of our newer members? I know uh, long-time members, this church might look, look very different from even 10 years ago. 
Have, have you reached out to some of our newer members? Have you met them? Uh, I hope you will all take time to get to know uh, Larry and Judy and some of our newer members as well. Take some time to meet them and, and to ask them, well, what, 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 what's your story like? What brought you here to KBC? Those stories, brothers and sisters, are so encouraging and will build you up and, and, and then you can love on them and pray for them and serve them better. Or have you greeted some of our visitors this morning? We have a lot of visitors here this morning. And, uh, and maybe you're here as a visitor and uh, you're like some of us and you don't want to be seen. You want to kind of, you're, you're more introverted. Um, I'm sorry, but I'm going to encourage everyone to, to meet you this morning. Would you, KBC members here, would you vi- meet our, our visitors? We have amazing greeters. We have incredible greeters, Teresa and Maria and everyone else who greets uh, our visitors. We're all called to greet our visitors. We're all called to meet them. And, and you know what? One thing that I was telling Liam, who was here for a little while, a visitor, um, that, that's so neat is when you meet a, belo- a, a believer, a brother and sister in Christ from somewhere, it, you share a bond closer than blood. Like, I, I feel closer to him than some of my blood relatives because we share the most important thing in common, and that's Christ. Brothers and sisters, meet some of our visitors here, and you will be so blessed. I know it. I'm so convicted by this, as I said, because it's so easy for me to gravitate toward people who share a lot in common with me, who are in the same season of life, as, as I am, and that's not a bad thing, to, to fellowship around people who share same interests, who are in the same season of life. But when it's at the expense of others, it becomes a bad thing, and it tells a lie about who our God is. In Luke chapter 6, verse 32 through 36, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. This is what our God is like. If we simply fellowship with, with and, 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 and simply love those who have similar interests, who look like us, who sound like us, who have the same culture as we do, then have we not created a community that could easily exist without the gospel? Sure, the gospel may be present, but it won't be necessary to our fellowship, to our love. But a community of believers, of different cultures, different generations, different upbringings, with different pasts, it's going to bring friction. That is going to happen. But it will reveal the gospel as the only reason these people are together and these people care for one another the way they do. The gospel will be highlighted and revealed and shown off 
when people who are different from each other, in fact, people who should maybe even not like each other, love each other and care for one another deeply, does that not glorify God and the gospel even more than if we united around things and fellowshiped around things that just we share in common? We can find that out there. You can't find the other thing without the gospel. This is the kind of community that we want here at Calvary Baptist Church. Maybe some of you who are here, are you find it difficult to be here. Maybe you see people with deep friendships. And you don't feel like anyone is making an effort to know you or to pursue you. I just want to say thank you for coming every week and for being here. We, we love you and, and, and I'm so glad that you are here and you continue with us. Brothers and sisters, we have people in our fellowship who feel this way. Who feel this way. Would you take some time after service today? Today to talk to someone that you haven't spoken with. Maybe ever. Maybe in a while. Take that opportunity to stick around if, if, if that's how you feel. If you feel that way. Now, now, I'm not trying to say, if you're introverted, to be extroverted. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. One pastor said, we all have an emotional budget. I'm just telling you to spend it all. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not saying to be something you're not. Just give them what you got. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that's, that's all you have to do. Not saying to be something you're not. But, but what you have is you have a deep relationship and fellowship with that person. That's a reality. That is true. You are united with that person. Live out that reality by just, how, how is 2019 for you? If, that's, if, if you feel like, like maybe it's difficult being here, stick around a little bit after service and maybe talk to someone. Maybe you be the one who reaches out to them and you obey this command by God through James to be merciful. Start that conversation and, and maybe you'll be blessed by it. <clears throat> my, my final application, uh, we just received new members this morning, Mary and Judy, and, and we, we read our church covenant. And did you, did you notice who that covenant is made with? It's not made to God. You didn't make that covenant with God. You made that covenant in the presence of God. It says, we do now in the presence of God in this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into the covenant with one another as one body. You've covenanted to the other members in this church, to one another. You have promised in the presence of God to commit to be resolute, to watch over one another in brotherly love to pray for one another, to care for one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech, to believe the best of each other, to be quick to be reconciled to one another. How are you doing with that promise? Your covenant you made with the other members in this fellowship. Now, I'm not saying that's possible to do with every single person here, but but how are you doing with keeping that promise to at least a handful of people? Even to the people maybe you see that, that 
don't have a group of people to, to, to serve and to covenant with and to live out that covenant with. I'm so thankful for all the ways that we're already doing this. Now, you're hearing me speak like that, but, but we are doing so much right now to care for one another. I mean, I see it all the time. I am a recipient of it. There are so many of us who make it a point to greet visitors who are not just the greeters. Maybe some of you visitors have been greeted by, by a few people. If you haven't, then again, I encourage you, stick around after service, and hopefully after this, someone will, will greet you and, and will, will want to know your story. There are many people who make it a point to fellowship with, with people not in their own age group who will make it a point to reach out. Younger people making it a point to reach out to retirees. And retirees making a point to come and, and serve the church in their free time. We're doing, there's so many great examples of how we are glorifying God through this. I mean, in our small groups, we see different generations, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different par- from different parts of the world together and loving one another, providing for one another, praying for one another. It's so encouraging to see all the ways that we are, we are being merciful to each other and not showing favoritism. We also have room to do more. And that's what, that's what I hope I would do, that we would do. To not show favoritism, to be merciful, it's not just a suggestion, not just something that, well, maybe I'll do it and there's no consequence. No, this is not a light thing, brothers and sisters. Verse 13 reads, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. If we fail in this area, we're in danger of proving that we truly have not been recipients of God's mercy, and we're in danger of the judgment. But if we are merciful, it continues, mercy triumphs over judgment. You can, you can read that in, as in being God's mercy triumphs over judgment or your mercy. You being merciful toward one another, not showing favoritism, you won't be in danger of the judgment. Do you, re- do you see that? We tell the truth about God when we do not show favoritism. We should desire to please the one who is truly wealthy in, in, back, in, back in verse 1, did you, did you see that? My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You get the sense that, that, that James is, is saying Jesus is the one who is glorious, and yet he gave himself to serve those who are impoverished. That's you, that's me, to make them wealthy. He had all glory and used it to serve us. This is what our God is like. If we are resolute, if we determine, if we are steady in applying James chapter 2, I hope all of us will, but even if 60% of us, and I hope it's more than 8% by year's end, but if at least 60% of us applies James 2, I honestly believe that we will experience transformation in this church, both individually, personally, but corporately as well. 
will leave, well, it'll, it'll leave us treasuring Jesus more. And it'll, it'll leave the onlooking world wondering, what's going on? Why do these people love each other the way they do? There should be no reason for people from different generations and different cultures and different upbringings and who look different and sound different and like different things, but, but they love and care for one another so selflessly. They give of themselves for one another. What's going on? Does that not glorify our God? I believe, I truly believe, if we all take time to apply this simple command, we are going to transform this church, transform this community, and be supremely blessed because it will show the world this is what our God is like. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, I praise you that you do not treat us according to our works. You don't treat us according to our merit because, Lord, we are not just undeserving people, but we are ill-deserving people. We deserve your punishment. And yet, just because you love us, just because you determined to set your love upon us, we are saved. So as people who have been recipients of much mercy, of much grace, who have been treated not as we deserve, but as you graciously do treat us, help us to do just that. To treat one another not as we deserve externally, maybe, but help us to treat one another as you have treated us mercifully, to, to count them more significant than ourselves, to love them as we love ourselves, to pursue one another, to fulfill what we have covenanted together, to pray for one another, to, to care for each other in distress and sickness to bear one another's burdens, to be, believe the best of each other. Help us to do that well. And Lord, as, as we do that, would you transform us so radically that the onlooking world would glorify you, our Father in heaven. Would you do this for the glory of your Son? In his name we pray. Amen.